Hey there, welcome to episode 51 of the Cafe Genius Impresarios audio program. I am your host, Dan Hugo, another solo episode. Fret not, we will, uh, we will, getting some, we will be getting some guests sometime soon in the beginning of this year, 2024. Today, February 16, Friday, in that very same year. Normally I would record this show earlier on Friday or the night before. I try to publish Friday morning. You know how it goes. Just had a call with Strong Towns. See if we can get some engagement in that arena that isn't always about tech. So today's episode is being recorded in the early afternoon of Friday the 16th. Today, the topic of uh, discussion, enabling and encouraging. I've left the, uh, the rest of that blank could be anything. Probably entrepreneurialism, but how about innovation? Uh, it is one thing to say that we want innovation and entrepreneurship to thrive in the greater Vegas area. We can say it. Easy to say. Easy to post on LinkedIn. It is another thing completely to make it happen. Can we actually make it happen or does it happen when it can? In other words, do you grow wheat or does wheat grow when it can? I use wheat as my example all the time. Could be anything. Uh, onto the links. My usual shameless self-promotion. Buymeacoffee.com slash Dan Hugo. Coffee.com slash Dan Hugo. K-O-F-I.com. Those are two different sites. I'm not a huge fan of either, to be honest. But I do have links to my various projects, including my four weekly audio programs. This one, Cafe Genius Impresarios, the Let's Innovate for Vegas program for the Innovate for Vegas Foundation, of which I am the managing director. Quaggling Sand, which is random stories, sometimes with a point. And FFS Talk, what works, what doesn't, what can we do about it. If you don't know what FFS means, you need to have more Irish friends. So you can check out those links. You do not need to buy me anything. You do not need to give me money. Although our pro- my projects, our projects, the Royal We. Uh, are powered by coffee. So any proceeds in the name of supporting these various efforts do go towards purchasing coffee. Uh, I will point out the Innovate for Vegas Foundation is a 501c3 public charity. If you'd like to support that organization, that's a different thing. You can visit the innovateforvegas.org website for uh, donor information. That would be a 501c3 tax deductible. Although I'm not a tax advisor, seek advice from your tax preparation professional. But this, the Cafe Genius Project, is about our entrepreneurial innovation ecosystem. How do we enable and encourage such things? Next on the list, the Clark County Innovation District. There's a whole webpage on the businessinclarkcounty.com website, including a link to the proposal and a outside consultant project plan presentation. It's a lengthy slide deck with lots and lots of words about the innovation district proposal, which would include building more innovation district in the innovation corridor in Clark County, basically between along the 215 on the south part of the county. Well, county extends much further south. (laughs) So definitely uh, the south part of the not quite city of Las Vegas, but down in the unincorporated Paradise Enterprise Spring Valley area. The innovation, I'm sorry, innovation center 
where Switch is. Not much innovation. I think they've still been closed since the pandemic for, for general use of the spaces. Uh, the tech park at the other end of the corridor region, and then this proposed construction of an innovation district with bars, restaurants, meeting spaces, residents, places for people to live. If there's one thing we need more here, it is more restaurants and bars. To compare and contrast, I have included a link, uh, a recent article about the Berkeley Innovation Zone, which would be a UC Berkeley element that would encourage uh, innovation, a zone of innovation in, in or near UC Berkeley in Silicon Valley, depending on how you draw the boundaries. Silicon Valley is a like Las Vegas, uh, can be drawn in many ways. But if you read through that, you will see there is a stark contrast between what an innovation district in the greater Vegas area is and what an innovation zone in Silicon Valley, is, greater Silicon Valley is. Uh, there's a book I've been reading, although I'm only about halfway through and I took a break to read Atlas Shrugged, but it is uh, Innovation, a Doer's Manifesto, and the title goes on from there. It's rather lengthy. I've linked to the MIT Press page for this uh, book. It's pretty good. Uh, it's about innovating in the mindset that your ideas probably won't work. Experiment, investigate, try things. They fail. Try again. You can insert your own Edison quote about 10,000 ways to not do something. Uh, but it's pretty. it's a pretty good book so far. I've, uh, like I said, about halfway through now taking a break to read Ayn Rand's Atlas Shrugged, which is probably appropriate <laughs> for Greater Vegas. And then uh, innovating a book review. That's a book review written by someone. Uh, it's a medium post, which I believe will be visible to non-paying, non-premium medium members. Uh, it's a quick review of the book I just referred to. Uh, it's a pretty, pretty good review. Uh, if you don't read the book, but you want to get some sense of it, you can flip through that and then maybe you'll want to read the book. I'm not plugging the book. It's not an affiliate link. I just think it's uh, an interesting book as far as a innovation culture and how we may consider building one here <laughs> or cultivating. Like wheat, I don't believe you can just magically wave a financial wand over an area and a culture of innovation appears out of nowhere, but... We'll get to that at the end of this episode. On with the show. So innovation and entrepreneurialism. I often say that these are two sides of the same coin. They're two great tastes that go great together to steal a marketing trope. The tendency to want to be innovative, to want to be, <laughs> to aspire to be innovative. Often it is someone who, one single inventor, someone who is innovative, uh, they they need not be a, a lifelong or professional inventor or innovator, but they may, from life experience or practical concern, see something that they are able to solve, improve, make better. So innovation can take many forms. And as I often say, it could be food, drink, farming, lighting, construction methods, manufacturing methods, uh, packing luggage. It could be anything, anything where you see something that could be improved upon and do it or come up with a viable way of doing it. Not everybody has the funds to build a fusion reactor, but hey, you may have 
a great way to, uh, to implement one. Who knows? So having that mindset is an essential component of a, of a thriving entrepreneurial innovation ecosystem. Not everyone needs to be an innovator. Uh, if you were to give yourself that title, I believe everyone innovates in some way here and there. That's how we get through life. Uh, but entrepreneurialism, on the other hand, is something almost anyone could do if they want to. Innovation is sort of a kind of comes to you. I don't think you can wake up in the morning and say, I'm going to invent something. But you can wake up in the morning and say, I'm going to start a business, a company, even a new project. Uh, there's a quote, and I cannot remember from whom, uh, an economist, I think maybe German, maybe not. Uh, the funny paraphrase is an entrepreneur is someone with an idea but no money. Uh, but it, I believe the, the actual economic or economist, but the, from an economic perspective, an entrepreneur is someone who uh, aims to derive profit from ideas or business. So that's generally something you can do. I, I would like to make money on a thing. You can franchise, you can do a side gig. You can do a lot of things that are sort of self-directed or with a small group of people with uh, similar notions and focus. Uh, so that there, like I said, there are two great tastes. If you are entrepreneurial and innovative, well, you may have a solution or an improvement that you can turn into a business, or you may have an idea for a business. And uh, during the course of executing that business, you come up with cool ideas, efficiencies, uh, general improvements. So they, they go great together. I personally would draw them as uh, two axes on a chart. So one, say the y-axis is entrepreneurialism, the entrepreneurial ecosystem, the x-axis could be either way, is the uh, innovation or culture of innovation. So if they are perpendicular, orthogonal uh, axes, then you can see that they, uh, they go together but they're technically separate things. You can uh, do all of your vector calculus you want on that. <laughs> but at the end of the day, I think they are completely complementary components. You need both. Not every individual will be strong in both. You're probably more of one than the other, but you could be both. Uh, so you can choose to be an entrepreneur. You don't necessarily choose to be innovative or inventive in a way that you would call yourself an inventor or an innovator. Uh, so I think it's easier to self-identify as an entrepreneur than an innovator, but I think more people are innovators than they give themselves credit for. Does that make sense? Uh, but both benefit substanti substantially, both being an entrepreneur and being an innovator, both benefit substantially with a willingness to fail because that's when you learn. If everything just works, you don't learn anything. You, you're just going with what worked. So if you do read the uh, innovating book, I should have included the, the author. Let me, uh, let me pull that up here. Although I'm sure you're going to read it. That, that should almost go without saying. The, hmm, where did I? Okay. Preparation. Where's that book? There it is. Okay. Uh, Luis Perez Breva. P-E-R-E-Z dash B-R-E-V-A. First name Luis, L-U-I-S. Uh, yeah, so it's, uh, the full title, by the way. Innovating, a doer's manifesto for starting from a hunch. Prototype on pr prototyping problems, scaling up, and learning to be productively wrong. That means failing and learning from it. Uh, if you fail and give up, that's oh, that's always an option. But if you fail 
learn, iterate. You never know. You never know what could happen. So let's talk about the platform, the parts and the people. So if you read that book, parts and people are the the two things. You have a hunch. You get the parts together. The parts could be anything, pretty much. It could be meeting space, dry erase pens, um, a chem lab, <laughs> uh, a fusion reactor. Try out your fusion reactor idea. So the parts and then the people, yourself and your collaborators, your subject matter experts, your interns, anyone, anyone who's going to join in on this adventure. Uh, the hunch is, a, is an interesting, if you read the book, it goes into substantially more detail about this, but you kind of pick a starting point that might be close or it might be far away. And then you come up with ways to uh, iterate on that hunch to try to see if you can come up with some solution, an innovative solution sometimes to a particular challenge. So whatever you're trying to solve or address or improve or elevate, you pick a starting point and you could be wrong. Your hunch could be completely incorrect. But the notion, uh, if you have a culture of innovation, you will be not alone in this adventure and you will be able to ideate together. You'll throw some ideas around based on the, the hunch or two. You'll maybe have a few hunches and you figure out where to begin and then you figure out how to measure where you're going. Uh, is this anywhere close? <laughs> and always be aware that you may actually come up with something unexpected that solves a different problem or is some other type of innovation that you were not expecting. So do keep that in mind. So having the tools, though, having the parts is essential. And if you do take the time to flip through, uh, don't flip through the entire thing, but the Clark County Innovation District proposal goes into great detail about focal areas, industries, medical, uh, manufacturing, other. It's, it's a big document. You can flip through it. So it, it takes aim at these things, but the innovation district component that is described or focused upon is much more about building residential and meeting space and bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and so on. So it's it's sort of the serendipitous collision model of the downtown project, which itself is not bad when you have the other parts that you would need to enable innovation. Uh, if, and this is uh, if you've heard me speak about the fusion center idea from 10 years ago, when I first proposed this at UNLV, uh, you need to have the, the lab space. You need to have a place where you can do electronics or agriculture, right? An indoor farm, <laughs> Uh, I don't want to always sound like I'm talking tech. It is the majority of my professional background, but it's not the entire universe. So the ability to apply cross-functional, cross-disciplinary expertise or resources that go along with those expertise, those expertise, that expertise. So I may want to build a farming robot. So I might need to have some hardware, technical hardware, but mechanical hardware, um, development resources that could be 3d printers it could be uh, a basic metal shop maybe i need to have a metal lathe and an end mill and a, a sheet metal brake and i need to have some motors and i need to have some uh, circuit boards made and i need to have a place to try my small farm so i need some indoor agricultural resources i can make these on my own but if you're going to build an innovation district, it might be useful to have some of these parts available in some way. Uh, sometimes you can call 
a makerspace an essential element of such a thing, and I believe that is true, but the makerspace needs to be flexible enough to enable things that you haven't thought of yet, and the same goes for hackathons. When you have a hackathon, when you have a makerspace, you should always have in the, in the front of your mind that the best ideas, the best outcomes will be completely unaccounted for when you design these things. The best hackathons will have the organizer saying, oh, I didn't even think of that. So same with makerspaces. So having the notion in mind that whatever people think might be built or, or uh, developed in the makerspace or in the hackathon that they are planning or organizing or assembling, whatever they think, the outcomes may be wildly different, just like innovation itself. Your hunch at the beginning may yield very unexpected results at the end, and that should be something that you're ready for. And I think this is one of the areas where Silicon Valley excelled, especially during my time there. Coincidence? No. So having the notion in mind that... uh, Providing, I I always use the Lego example. So if you provide a table, a workspace of some sort with a giant pile of Lego blocks of various types, sizes, shapes, colors, um, some special pieces, some generic bricks, you may provide instructions for a particular project or even better, none. And people will build what they have in their mind. They may partner up with others. Hey, you want to build a thing or you want to build a different thing you want to build a giant thing you want to build 10 things that all fit together so when you provide the building blocks without specific direction uh, it's amazing what innovative personalities will do and i believe there are if you look at the 1990 paradigm one uh, percent doers nine percent enablers uh 90 observers so the one percenters will start picking up pieces and stick them together and the nine percenters will say uh Oh, that looks cool. And they go, oh, you want to get it on? You know, let's, let's build a thing, a big giant, whatever. And then 90% will kind of wait. Maybe they'll be invited. Like, hey, you want to get this end of the giant thing we're building? You want to pick that up? Uh, but observers tend to be a little bit more passive or require a little bit more motivation. So if the platform, the parts and the people, see, I've already kind of started talking about the people. If you have the parts and you have people in your culture of innovation, the platform means putting those together around a hunch or idea and iterating, ideating, if you like, uh, to reach some point of innovation when you've kind of reached an aha moment. Uh, oh, this kind of works. And then you can implement it, see if it works for everybody or your target audience, and then uh, deploy it to the world. But you have to start somewhere. So in an innovation district, you're, you are going to claim that a geography has the parts or some of the parts that will bring the people together. So the parts and the people can commence an innovation life cycle from idea, hunch. Yeah. Pro- what's the problem? Hmm, I have some ideas. Let's meet up in the innovation district in, uh, in Clark County. The one in downtown Vegas? No, the other one. Pick a coffee shop. Well, can we just meet in a coffee shop in Summerlin? Or yeah. No, no, no. It has to be in the innovation district. In Clark County. So what exactly the parts include outside of specific, you know, Lego bricks or pencils and paper or sheet metal or, or metal end mills and lathes or woodworking tools or a amazing kitchen with all the tools and ingredients 
or you know the list goes on medical do i need a chem lab do i need a bio uh, do i do i need a um what's the uh what's the biohazard level thing anyway do i need a do I need to be able to handle dangerous things in a biocontainment lab? Do I need to have solar panels? You know, the, the list goes on. So the resources available, the parts are part of the innovation process. And the people that understand this culture of innovation have the tendency to want to use those parts or develop those hunches and use those parts all fit together very nicely. So that's part of the plan, right? So the Silicon Valley way. Uh, if you, first of all, Silicon Valley started off with Stanford University. That's, that's just a fact. So fairly strong academic base or foundation. Professor Chernin, I've talked about this already. Professor Chernin moved into the Bay Area, took on an engineering mm, department director or something. I can't remember now. Not looking at it. Uh, Professor Chernin, a uh, famous radar engineer during World War II, a lot of government support, moved convinced Shockley to move uh, from Bell Labs to, I think it was Bell Labs, right, to Menlo Park, Shockley Semiconductor, that began Silicon Valley proper. Hewlett and Packard received encouragement from Professor Chernin. Uh, Stanford became a bit of a player, receiving government money and stuff. So Silicon Valley started with academic and, we'll say, government projects, but also attracted legitimate and and uh, substantial semiconductor talent that sort of started the ball rolling. So it became very clear that, ooh, if you want to do anything in the chip development, you should head out to the Bay Area. Uh, I had the good fortune, maybe, arguably, to work in SC1 as my sort of my hot desk since I was never actually based in Silicon Valley when I worked for Intel, but I sat in SC1, so uh, Santa Clara 1, which was the first building of Intel. So it was off Bowers and Central Expressway. And SE1 and SE2 are where the double super secret uh, lithography scientists are, or they were when I worked there. So all the really secret stuff sort of uh, is at the root of the company where it all started. I had badge access to every building on the global uh, Intel campus registry except for those, those areas of uh, SC1 and 2. So that's, the, that's where the aliens are, the bodies, the, the spaceships, all that. So, so interesting time. So Silicon Valley started, though, with real silicon and has advanced through the turmoil of venture capital in the 90s to a place today where you can barely afford to live there and uh, a host of other problems. But access to capital, the venture capital days to accelerate innovation were a bit of a game changer though they did not cause Silicon Valley to begin to form. So you cannot simply sprinkle money on a place. That culture of innovation, the confluence of talent and resources, etc., made Silicon Valley, uh, the seeds of Silicon Valley, what they eventually would become. For better or worse, uh, I will never move back to Silicon Valley for what that's worth. Uh, infrastructure enables innovation. So if you have the offices, the Maker spaces, the, there were several of those in the Bay Area. If you have the academic side, if you have talent pool, if you have motivated people, if you have commercial components of the innovation process, so you have circuit, um, circuit board manufacturing, you have FCC testing, you have thermal testing, you have prototyping, 
you have, I was in a bio, an, like an open bio, biotech lab where you could do biology startup endeavors. You have your accelerators, you, have, you know, all the pieces are all sort of swimming together. I don't know if there would, you probably couldn't call it a, a organized infrastructure, but it was a place where it was a fertile ground for infrastructure to emerge. And there was certainly demand for different types of infrastructure to enable different types of innovation. So technical resources and certainly the people part, more people, more and more people. And then, of course, you gentrify the whole place, can't afford to live there. So if you do look at the Berkeley Innovation Zone, I think there was a paragraph that sort of says it well. Where is that? There it is. Uh, draft environmental impact report for the Innovation Zone, a two-structure laboratory on the western side of the campus. Um Redefine the city skyline. Ah, there we go. So the draft EIR provides a site map and detailed description of the master plan, but does not include the design illustrations. So it doesn't get into super detail, but the facilities will include wet and dry laboratories. So that's chem, possibly bio, research and support space, administrative offices, meeting rooms, and conference rooms. The combined master plan will have a permanent occupancy of 1,090 workers, likely from the private sector. So this is the talent pool that works to enable innovation in areas that require and benefit from specialized infrastructure and resources. So 11 stories, blah, 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 da, da, da. Replacing some buildings, buildings starting in the summer. So they're going to have some dorm rooms as part of a larger plan. So it sounds from the 50,000 foot view like similar thinking to the innovation district that is proposed for Clark County. Uh, <laughs> the biggest project spearheaded by the school in the is the future Berkeley Space Center. So that think about that as part of a, a larger overarching innovation capability, uh, Berkeley Space Center. We have the Spaceport, which is a commercial endeavor, uh, which kind of didn't impress me. Uh, so yeah, Berkeley diving in. Why? Because Berkeley already has an established culture of innovation, strong academic underpinnings, and a history of innovation culture that can, can feed back on itself, right? So important to think about that. If you then, I'll move on to the next item in my notes. If you then compare that to the Greater Vegas way, uh, and if you do flip through that document, which is huge and makes a lot of lofty, uh, assumptions and statements of intent, I suppose. But if you look at that, uh, again, so the living space, some sort of residences, but uh, restaurants, bars, meeting spaces, and so on. And you did, you heard me say it from the Berkeley Innovation Zone, there's going to be some conference rooms and so on, but also laboratory space. And this is on top of existing infrastructure around technology development. Uh, I, uh, some of my colleagues from college, so we're talking a long time ago, but they were, uh, they had moved on to Berkeley for graduate school. So I visited their chemistry labs at some point. So you had people doing real work at Berkeley. Berkeley is only one of several academic institutions that would then enable sort of, uh, in initial innovation. Uh, if you have the space and you're willing to let people use it, then you're off to the races. 
If you don't have the space, you have to build a tech park or you have to enable somehow a public university. And UC Berkeley is a public university, but you have to have your board of regents on board with enabling engagement with startups. And depending on how they enable that, you will either get interest or a no thank you. So more restaurants and bars to me doesn't seem like the gateway to innovation, but you know, what do I know? Uh, our talent pool depth would come from our academia, our UNLV College of Southern Nevada, which I believe is renaming or one of the, one of the University of Nevada now universe Nevada University maybe rename it's anyway so there's there there are the beginnings of some academic infrastructure that will extend beyond hospitality so some medical school medical focus the engineering school at UNLV could be there there's research and there are some success stories there uh, I have spoken to people who consider success on graduating from UNLV as relocation to Silicon Valley or Austin or somewhere like this. So the notion that talent should stay here is something, but also drawing additional talent. So whatever your area of innovation is, if, if you're truly innovative, you may not have recent graduates from college or, or vocational programs or similar. You may not have the talent in the talent pool here, you may invite people from elsewhere, or there may not even be specific academic background that applies, and you have to just look for thinking outside the box. So having that culture of innovation means a little bit of both. Having a talent pool of academic or vertically trained, like you know, culinary innovation benefits in some ways from having trained chefs and other foodies but you also may benefit from having people who are simply innovative thinkers. And uh, do, they hang out in do they hang out in Vegas? Sometimes. That's me. <laughs> we, we are here in various places. But we do have to hope that our talent pool depth continues to uh, increase deeper, deep end of the pool. Uh, and again, innovation need not always be developing unicorns for quick exit to pay back investors. Sometimes innovation is just innovation, and sometimes entrepreneurs just want to be entrepreneurial, not not start their journey with an exit plan immediately. Right? So a mix of that in our ecosystem will be beneficial, I believe, and having that culture of innovation will be critical. Does a culture of innovation come from more restaurants and bars? Not sure. And I believe they mentioned coffee shops specifically. Mm, no. Uh, the fun economy is the main driver of the greater Vegas area. Silicon Valley, the main driver in those early days was government-funded research and development in semiconductors and military applications. Lockheed was a substantial military uh, government contractor focused on some military applications. I don't think anyone doesn't know about the blimp hangars, Moffett Park, Moffett Field, you know, where the, where the blimps were. Uh, there are countless military contracting companies in the South Bay area, uh, access to the Bay in the Sunnyvale area, for example, where Moffat Park is, Mountain View, and that whole part enabled direct access to Bay slash, you know, seafaring vessels. So um, not everything was Silicon Valley to start, but that certainly was an early part of the start of Silicon Valley. It was actual semiconductors, government money, very strong academic underpinnings, and the development and emergence of better than more than development. Although 
you can say you can develop some of the talent pool with an attractive academic program, but the emergence of a very strong and motivated innovation culture and talent pool, uh, I believe you could say happened organically because of demand for projects, project talent, weather, strong academics, uh, academic resources there, and so on. So I think a lot of it was a confluence of events and available funding and talent, uh, motivation from Professor Turnin and uh, Shockley, Shockley being a negative, <laughs> negative impact. Uh, he was known for being kind of a jerk. I kind of identify with that. The, uh, so the fun economy here, you could say, is sort of like the silicon economy or even the government project economy of the early days of Silicon Valley. And we're talking like 1947, 1955, somewhere in there when it really kind of, the ball began to really get rolling. So here we've had the fun economy for quite some time. It's only getting stronger. And now that the fun economy has added professional sports, um, maybe baseball, just saw that Adam Silver thinks that an expansion NBA team is a strong possibility. And of course the Raiders. So we have our NFL, we have our Golden Knights, so we have our NHL and Formula One for all the havoc it wreaked for small business looks to be making a return in November of 2024. So professional sports, gambling, gaming, uh, tourism, conventions, entertainment in general, the fun economy is strong and will continue to be strong. So innovation towards the fun economy, uh, Blackfire Innovation focuses heavily on hospitality and gaming, uh, is important. Certainly focus on sports, uh, sports medicine, sports health, would be interesting and there are some there's some focus there manufacturing maybe although the lack of water makes some manufacturing a challenge but still manufacturing of course indoor agriculture and water conservative uh, farming agriculture big things here that don't get as much attention as they might so while the fun economy is a super strong element and will probably drive a great number of things any sort of advancements or noteworthy accomplishments uh, in other words, if you want to get any attention whatsoever, you better be building a stadium or, uh, or worse. So, uh, but we don't, we should not kid ourselves that we are not a fun economy. We're not going to be the next Silicon Valley, but at the same time, we cannot ignore innovation, uh, partially because that would just be silly. And also because not everything is reflexively tech innovation. So innovation in general is a is, is worth fighting for, is worth paying attention to, it's worth celebrating, something that doesn't happen enough here. But the Silicon Valley way is to build more innovation space. The greater Vegas way is to build more meetup space. Something to think about. So what to do, what to do in the next 10 years. Uh, I have been saying this many times, 10-year plan. Uh, we need to develop or really cultivate a culture of innovation, beginning with students in the seventh grade age 12. Why age 12? Why seventh grade? Because seventh grade is the typical start of junior high, could be sixth, depending on where you are. Uh, seventh grade, age 12, we are beginning to identify our actual interest areas. We begin at that age to consider what do I actually want to be when I grow up? Not the, well, at this point it's a YouTube or TikTok creator, but generally speaking, this is where interests begin to form uh, because of the way school is structured 
We are often taking different classes, moving between classrooms, maybe a bio or chemistry lab, maybe early physics. Our after-school activities might include things like robotics or sports or cooking. Maybe we're attending a specialized school as they have here at the, uh, the academies here in the Vegas area. So maybe you're doing some culinary or automotive uh, mechanical engineering. I think that's what they call it. Or other sort of vocational leaning programs that are still in the high school level. So there's a lot of possibility to, uh, to be uh, innovative beginning in seventh grade. I've just mentioned some high school stuff. But if you have that mindset, when these resources become available, when the, the curriculum and the approach to academic program structure be, uh, can kind of coincide with this tendency to become curious or become maybe um, aspirational, when I was in seventh grade, I really wanted to be in the Air Force. I really wanted to be a pilot. My bedroom had pictures of airplanes all over it on the walls. <laughs> uh, I was really uh, all in. I loved to go to air shows. I was all in on in identifying airplanes and you know, different models and different Air Force vehicles and Navy vehicles and so on. So I was totally in starting with seventh grade. Uh, by the time I was in college, freshman year of college, I had pretty much resigned thanks to my eyesight that uh, I would not be a mil military. Sorry, I bumped into the microphone there. I would not be a military pilot, but I would be, uh, I was definitely technically inclined. And so uh, computers, technology, much more interesting. However, all of that sort of fit together. Um, if I was going to be in the Air Force, I was going to be an aeronautical engineer. I took an interest in math and science. I already had those, but I was interested in how things worked. And I happen to be interested in flying. So seventh grade, that's the theory. I don't think anyone would really argue. You can start, I learned how to read when I was very young, like three or four or something. So not discounting the time up to seventh grade or age 12, but it's important to realize that at some point, people, young people will begin to plan or at least plan to plan. They will ideate for, for themselves on what they would like to do. And uh, if we can engage entrepreneurial innovators in like upper age ranges, like out of school to proactively participate in a cultivation process, we will start to see some mentorship. We'll start to see leading by example in general. And we may actually wake up to the notion that uh, someone else could do this stuff, but it could be you, you could be someone else. And that's where those seventh graders can begin to become inspired. Uh, more city and county events. Uh, believe it or not, Clark County had a smart city hackathon while I was with Intel. So this was a long time ago, <laughs> but they did actually have a smart city hackathon. Where have these hackathons gone? That is a great question. So we can have uh, county and city challenges. They don't need to be smart city hackathons. They could be any number of things. It could encourage the innovation. It doesn't have to encourage a particular type of outcome. So we can focus on innovation for community elevation. We could be looking at um, food, food technology, ag tech, indoor farming. We could be looking at water conservation. We could be looking at solar. We could be looking at efficiencies, uh, new construction techniques. And uh, what? Seventh graders? Too young to think about how to build more energy efficient homes? I don't think so. That's a good time to start. Uh, did you know you can do city hackathons? You can actually bring together people in a city during a city plan development. And most cities need to develop like a five or a 10 year plan or maybe a 20 year plan. 
So as they go through the process of developing these plans, and personally, I think they should iterate on them so that they can adjust year over year. Having a 10-year plan and then only checking in on it 10 years later is not the way, in my opinion. So, But you can have people from neighborhoods, communities, proactively participate in a hackathon-style uh, innovation sprint where they can actually present solvable problems and receive through a, sort of a mentor program or mentor affiliation, uh, real advice and feedback from city staffers and subject matter experts so that people who live in and among uh, potential solvable problems, whatever they are, could share ideas, come up with solutions, innovate, make our smart city smarter with real feedback and advice and guidance from subject matter experts who may not live where you do and would benefit from your insights from where you live and they do not. Uh, an innovation district is interesting. And by the way, there is one in downtown Las Vegas. So we can actually look at, just like the downtown project retrospective, we don't have to look at other cities. We can actually look here and see what we have, what we lack, what we can do to improve, elevate, uh, re-enable, so we have an innovation district in downtown Las Vegas. Shout out to Don Jacobson. Uh, if it has the innovation parts and we have the people, we will begin to see innovation. And if we have collaborative innovation happening, we'll maybe see some outcomes. Now you can collaborate by yourself, but the more people who begin to benefit or become a part of the culture of innovation and the more collaboration that can take place on real solvable problems, the more positive outcomes will occur thanks to, uh, thanks to feedback with the poles on the right side of the plane, we can have explosive exponential growth of innovation due to this uh, underdamped or undamped, completely undamped uh, innovation feedback loop. Like, oh, those people are solving a problem and I think I have an idea to solve a problem. I should solve a problem, you know, that kind of thing. So there you go. That's uh, enabling and encouraging these things is, uh, is half of the challenge and having, you can call those the parts, and then having the people around to take advantage of those parts, having them realize that starting with a hunch and having the parts and maybe other people around to collaborate might lead to innovation and even implementation. It can be done. Not everything is tech. Not everything is coding. You do not need to learn how to code to be innovative. If you want to collaborate with someone who does know how to code, great. If you want to use AI tools to code for you without knowing what it's doing, mm, not great, but that'll be something that becomes apparent over time. So in the near term, if the innovation destination that is the greater Vegas area is to thrive, understanding how the parts and people fit together and how we can enable these things without gentrifying or alienating or otherwise uh, detracting from the completely viable and very strong and well-known, I suppose you could say, fun economy. The fun economy can be a driver. Get the Formula One reference. The fun economy can be a driver of our innovation destination. It does not need to step aside. We should recognize the value and leverage it. And the 40 million people who visit Las Vegas each year, the greater Vegas area each year, as part of our innovation roadmap and mindset and culture of innovation cultivation. And that is what I'm doing. I'd be interested to know what you're doing. If you want to be a guest on this program, 
drop me a line, media at cafegenius.org. And uh, we'll set that up. In the meantime, don't forget, buymeacoffee.com slash Hugo lists uh, links to all of my projects. And it has links to my favorite coffee beans, which is where any tips or other proceeds will be applied uh, or to coffee devices as needed. Although I got, I got most of the stuff I need. So more coffee beans, the consumable part of the coffee equation, uh, maybe some, maybe some dairy products for my morning cappuccino, but, uh, that's about it. Uh, if you want to check those out, you can see the other programs that I uh, produce each week and more coming kofi.com slash Dan Hugo, ko fi.com slash Dan Hugo. I remain unsure of what I'm going to do with that, but I have it. If you want to check that out, there's nothing there, but follow, do whatever, keep it in mind, click on it. We'll see what happens. I will try to be innovative, as should you. Thank you.